So if you have your Bible, uh, you can find your way to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. But I, I want to start with a, a little ditty, if you will. I actually might even sing for you if you're so lucky. But I have three littles, uh, three little girls, six, five, and two. And, and so what is afforded you when you have kids is you get to watch really great movies again. You know, like Disney kind of movies, right? The greatest movies of all time are made by Disney, yet we get like a little too old and a little too cool. It's like it's weird when you're 20 watching Mulan by yourself. But when you have kids, you have an excuse to watch all these great movies again, okay? And so some of the movies that have been a repeat in my house are Despicable Me and Despicable Me 2, which I love. Love Steve Carell uh, as Gru. I love the Minions. It just, it makes me just smile when I watch these movies. And the soundtrack for Despicable, Be Despicable Me 2 goes like this. Um, this is the, the hit song. I'm going to read it for us. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Sunshine, she's here. You can take a break. I'm a hot air balloon that could go to space with the air like I don't care. Baby, by the way. Huh? Because I'm. Anybody? Wow, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Happy. Because I'm happy. This is this hit song by Pharrell that just kind of like took over our culture for like, you know, three months, six months. We love it because it just, it makes you just want to get up and dance. And actually, this is fun. The, the official music video for Happy is actually 24 hours long. It took the crew 11 days to film people like you and me just doing what makes them happy. They're trying to capture this idea of what a happy life looks like. And the official music video is 24 hours long. I would love for somebody just to marathon that, just binge it one day and see how happy you are after 24 hours of watching that. What does a happy life look like? Our culture is, is honestly kind of obsessed with that. If you get on Netflix, you can find a myriad of documentaries. If you, if you get on any social media um, site, you're going to see posts of, of what a happy life is, what a happy life looks like, trying to, to capture it, trying to, to picture a happy life or a blessed life. And it's fascinating of this famous sermon that has literally shaped not just the Western world, but, but human civilization. This is the very thing that Jesus starts with. What is a picture of a happy life? What does a happy life look like? What does it look like to live hashtag blessed? That's what Jesus gets at. And so let me read for us Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, 1 through 12. This is what Jesus says. He says, blessed, or happy, are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who are before you. This is how the Sermon on the Mount starts. It's a, it's a snapshot of what it looks like to live a happy life, a, a blessed life. And it's, it's what we know as the Beatitudes. It's a, it's a strange picture at first, if we're honest. 
because it's not at all what the world would say a blessed or happy life looks like. And so this is what I want to do. I want to look at the Beatitudes in whole then and in part. I want us to just, I just want to draw your attention to some major things in whole about these 12 verses, and then I want to break them down in part. But in whole, this is what I want you to see. You see eight total statements by King Jesus of what it looks like to live a happy life, what it looks like to live life in the kingdom, what a Christian ought to look like. First four statements deal on the vertical plane with how that Christian relates to God. The second four deal on a horizontal plane with how that Christian relates to one another. Okay, you see that? And then there's a progressive order to these Beatitudes. They're not just random kind of like statements thrown out there that are just like fortune cookie or, or weird Twitter stuff that you just kind of go, ah, ah. you feel like there's like some twilight breath behind it when Jesus says it, you know? That's a weird thing about that movie. They just breathe a lot. Twilight. <sighs> anyway, again, I'm a, yeah, yeah, you get it. You get it. But, but in whole, this is the snapshot of the picture that Jesus gives of the Christian. And this is what I want you to see in that. Two really, really important things. It's the Christian life to be experienced, but also be to, to be ex- aspired to. It's the Christian life that's to be experienced, but also to be aspired to. If you read the Beatitudes, there should be, if you're a Christian, some kind of resonance with what's being said here. Okay, I get that. I've experienced that. It should somewhat picture your mirrored experience, right? But at the same time, it's to be aspired to. This is the, the Christian life in full, Jesus comes not just to give us eternal life or life after death, but abundant life, true life here and now, which is in relation to our maker. And so abundant life, full life, vibrant life, happy life looks like this. Secondly, it gives us a picture of of the Christian life in contrast to the non-Christian life. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to to not just think of of a non-Christian you don't know, um, but I want you to think of yourself before you were a Christian. If you're a Christian in here, I want you to think of yourself before you were a Christian. Do you see a difference in who you, wa- who you were and who you are? Do you see a difference in, in what you experienced then and what you experience now? Is there a difference in your character? Have your values changed at all? This is what Jesus is contrasting. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven are markedly different. In fact, they're in opposition or contrast to one another. All right, so that's, that's kingdom character in whole. Look, let's look at it in part. This is what it says. Look at the first one, poor in spirit. Here's my question. Have you ever felt spiritually broke? I mean, like, not a dollar to your name. Like, I took my kids to get ice cream the other day, and they went to go pay for it, and they had, like, everything they saved up for, which was, like, 74 cents. And I was like, I'll cover you, babe. I got you, you know. Just keep that in your piggy bank, and they'll lose it. And, but it doesn't matter. They got a heavenly father or earthly father, in my case, that's going to care for them. But have you ever felt just, just spiritually broke, especially when it comes to Encountering God, where you realize for the first time you can't offer him anything, absolutely anything. You see God for who he truly is, as immutable, 
as just immense, as, as great, as majestic, as holy. And when you see God for who he really is, not for this aberration that our culture says he is, but who he really is, the God that sung reality into existence, the material world as we know it, and by the word of his power sustains it. When you see that God, you feel spiritually broke. That's the first step into the kingdom life. Those who mourn, have you ever felt sorrow for your sin? And I'm not talking about but sorrow for the repercussions, but, but actual contrition. You've seen the effects of your brokenness breaking others, hurting others. Your brokenness hurting God. And have you ever felt contrition for that? The world says don't cry. The world says don't shed a tear. The world says you do you. You define your right and wrong. God says you're blessed and you will be comforted. Have you ever felt sincere security, the humble, like real security? Able to hear what others say about you, if it's true or if it's not true, and it not move you an inch. Because you believe what God says about you. And the world would say, boast all you want. The world would say, you know, you do you and you shine the light on you. But God says it's the humble that are blessed. It's the humble that will inherit the earth. Have you ever felt starved for what's right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever felt starved for what's right? You want things to be as they ought to be. You have this sense in you, this tension. The brokenness in this world, if it would just be fixed, right? The world says justice is power. The world says truth is relative. But you know that's not right. Have you ever hungered for a just king to make all things right one day? God says that that hunger will be satisfied. Are you tracking with me? What I want you to see is that what the world values is in absolute contrast with what heaven values. That it's not shades of color off or degrees off, but it is diametrically opposed. And it's really important to see that because the gospel is not, hey, you're here, work hard enough to get there. The gospel is you're dead in your sin and God has to make you alive, pull you out of the grave and give you a new heart and a new spirit to walk after him. And he does that by grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. It's a state change. Again, Matthew 5 through 7 is a picture of the Christian life. Entrance into the Christian life happens in Matthew 4. It's just simple repentance. It's a turning from your sin and a turning back and trusting God again. There's an absolute difference between the life of the Christian and the life of the non-Christian. So I, um, I used to be a college pastor down in LSU, down, way down in Louisiana, where it doesn't do whatever it's done the last couple of days. I think we call it snow. Um, and I was, I was there for a long time. I went to LSU. Uh, I, I got plugged into this college ministry. I grew up through it and got to lead it for seven years. And I heard about this church in Iowa, at Iowa State, that was doing some awesome stuff. And so maybe about five years ago now, I went to Iowa State, and I went to a conference. They call it a Hitchhiker's. And this is just kind of a look under the hood at what this college ministry called the Salt Company was doing. 
And this is a huge college ministry, 1,400, 1,500 students every Thursday night, largest church-based college ministry in the country from what I understand. Um, really, really neat. And so I want you to kind of get a, a look under the hood of, like, how do you do what you do? But then I also wanted just to, to step back and admire the vehicle, you know, like the whole thing. And so on Thursday night, I got to go to a college service. So I remember walking in the auditorium, which is just beautiful and tons of seats, um, kind of feels like this, not at all. Um, and just waiting, right? We were there all day, me, some other leaders, old guys, right? And then the doors open and just college students just flood into this auditorium. And you're like, there's no way they're filling this thing. And like little by little, it just kind of like fills up. And you're just like, wow. And I remember just experiencing, you know, the awesomeness of, of that, of the college ministry. I got to look under the hood, but then I got to like just step back and admire the vehicle, okay? And what I remember about that entire weekend wasn't things I learned um, strategically or, or, or whatnot. Um, it was this one experience in that Thursday night because I was sitting next to a student that was absolutely just like in it. I mean in it, you know, like, I mean, feet are kind of just moving, but you know he can't really dance, but he's trying, like, hands, tears, snot. I mean, I don't know. He was just in it, right? This student was feeling, and I'm like, dude, this guy, this guy met Jesus. This guy is, like, totally hanging on every word being sung, every, every line being preached. And so I, I remember in the, the back end of the night, you had your final song set, and he's on his knees, tears just dripping down his face like so much so that I just walked over and I put a hand on his shoulder because I wanted to like just affirm him encourage him and I just started praying for him after uh the service lights come up I approach him I introduce myself and get to know him stuff like that and he just became a believer the kingdom of God became real to this young man all right poverty in spirit I mean mourning, humble, just a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And then I went on my merry way, never thought I'd go back to Iowa again. God had different plans. Two years later, I moved up there to get prepared to plant this church in Indiana. And I actually ran into that student again. Although this time, that student wasn't a student. And eventually, I hired him to become my salt director. That was Derek Jones. Derek became a believer, and he was poor in spirit. He was broken by his sin. He was hungering and thirsting for the things of the kingdom. There was a, a massive difference between the Derek before he met King Jesus and the Derek that now lives in the kingdom. Not because of anything Derek did, because he encountered the king. There's a huge difference, and you've got to see the contrast, what Jesus is trying to paint. It goes on to not just deal with the, hor I mean the vertical plane, but the horizontal, the merciful have you ever felt sympathy for another's sin, able to see them shackled as you once were? The pure in heart, have you ever felt sure enough to be yourself, not changing to fit into the occasion? The peacemakers, have you ever felt a sense of responsibility to reconcile, to, to lean into tension instead of just ignore it? Those who are persecuted because of righteousness, have you ever felt suffering for the cross you carry? Have you ever been able to rejoice that it's a mark of certification because they persecuted the followers of God before you in the same way? Again, these are a stark contrasts between life lived in the kingdom and life outside of it. 
This is what Jesus is pointing out is upside down about the world, but right side up about the kingdom. And, and I want to be clear that this isn't a description of natural temperament. I think sometimes you can read this and go, man, I, I'm just not that guy. This isn't what Jesus is pointing out as someone who's born kind of coy or, or shy. That's not what he's, he's highlighting. What he's highlighting is new birth, that there, there, there's a difference when you step into the kingdom, when you're reborn to new life. And that's a hard difference for us to grasp in a Christian culture where you're Christian because your mom or your daddy is Christian. You're Christian because you were raised to believe some Christian things or hold some Christian values, but you've never encountered Christ himself. You've never really understood who the king is and, and allowed him to literally transform your life from the inside out, to change your heart. So the question is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? If you're to write out the character qualities of this snapshot of the, the blessed life or the ideal life or the happy life and the character qualities of, of life in this world, they would be, again, diametrically opposed to one another. So I, I want to read this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones because I think it captures what the Beatitudes should be for us. This is what he says. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous uh, theologian from England. He says this. He says, my immediate reaction to these Beatitudes, these 12 verses, proclaims exactly what I am. Do you catch that? My immediate reaction to these Beatitudes proclaims exactly what I am. If I feel they are harsh and hard, if I feel they are against the grain and depict a character and type of life which I dislike, then I am afraid it just means I am not a Christian. If I do not want to be like this, I must be dead in trespasses and sins. I can never have received new life. But, and this is really important, but if I feel I am unworthy and yet want to be like that, well, however unworthy I may be, if it is my desire and my ambition, there must be new life in me. I must be a child of God. I must be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and God's dear son. Let every man examine himself. What Martin Luther Jones is saying is the Beatitudes, just like the rest of Scripture, actually acts as a mirror when we look at it. So what does it say when it stares back at you? When you look at the values of the kingdom, do you see those values in your life at all? When you look at the character of the Christian life, do you see those resonate with your character at all? If not, the most loving thing I can say to you is examine your life. Examine your life. Don't go on living outside the kingdom walls as if you're a citizen. And the doorway to the kingdom is just repentance. It's heavy lifting, but Jesus did all the lifting. Examine your life. I, I want to show a video because I think this video offers an awesome picture of what life in the kingdom, at least that, that, that initial response looks like. And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you have to have this, this radical uh, death to life story and you're just drug, sex, and rock and roll. And then like, man, I'm going into ministry and planting churches. Like, I, I, that's not what I'm saying at all. But there has to be a difference. There clearly is a difference in the character of the Christian and the character of the non-Christian because there's a value difference. And there's a value difference because there's a belief difference. 
my actions sit on my values and my values sit on my beliefs. And Jesus is getting down to the core of what we believe. So I want to show this video, um, this clip. It went around social media uh, for a while, but it, it gives a picture, I think, really well uh, of seeing the kingdom for the first time. And so uh, this is a clip of McKinley Irves, who is red blood, red blood, red, green, colorblind. Uh, and he's given some glasses to see colors for the first time, to see reality as it really is. So check this out. It's about a minute and 40 seconds. Go on, go on take a look at Big Red over there. Mm -hmm. This is what y'all... <laughs> Bro, what? If that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what will. In the broader clip, he makes this statement, and I love it. He says, there's no way this is everyday life for y'all. There's no way this is everyday life for y'all. Reality didn't change for McKinley. He got to see it for the first time. And that's really important. The gospel acts like glasses, when we get to see through the lens of the gospel and we understand that God loves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That because we couldn't get to him, he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And he rose again to give us new life, abundant life to live here and now. It changes everything. This is why at Embassy we talk about being a gospel-gazing kind of people. Because we want to see reality through the lens of the gospel. We want to see ourselves. We want to see others. Reality doesn't change. We actually get to see it for what it is. And here you have King Jesus going, hey, what you've been seeing is upside down. Let me tell you how to live right side up in this upside down world. For McKinley, <laughs> it was radical. There's no way this is everyday life for y'all. So if you're a Christian, this should be everyday life for you. This is why the Christian should be telling every non-Christian, hey, look, come see what I see. If you're not doing that, maybe it's because you're not seeing it. Who wouldn't want to hand their friend some glasses? Am I right? The blesseds tell us that earthly lasts are divine first. It absolutely changes the game. And this is what I want to end on. Ultimately, they tell us that the only thing that you can bring to God is nothing. McKinley was given those glasses. They were a gift. No strings attached. Hey, brother, I want you to see what I see. The gospel is the same way. There's no strings attached. It's only when we understand that the only thing we can bring to God is nothing that we can actually come to him and receive everything. You see, religion says... 
and you feel the right tension, right, between a holy God and unholy and broken and less than you, right? You feel it, but your natural impulse is to bring God something. The ancients did it by laying a perfect sacrifice on an altar. We do it by trying to lay our, our perfect life on an altar. But the only perfect sacrifice to bridge that gap is Jesus himself. And that's what he did when he went to the cross. And then he rose again to give his life to us, to live his life through us, to change not us but the world around us, to create a countercultural community, an alternate society called the church. That's what embassy is supposed to be. And so my, my plea for you this morning is examine your life. Look at the mirror of the Beatitudes. If you've never had that kind of experience, Maybe today is the day that changes everything. Maybe today is the day that you realize, I need to start bringing God nothing so I can actually receive from him everything. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And then from there, everything else progresses. Little by little by little, the aspirational kingdom life becomes the actual kingdom life. And you live in it. And you live in relationship with King Jesus. Let me pray for us that that might be so for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the good news, the gospel. We thank you for helping us see reality as it truly is. We thank you for the beauty of it, and, and we confess that all too often, I confess, that it can become just dull and mundane, and I can miss it. I can miss what it's like to live in light the gospel, to live in relationship with the king, to, to really see reality as it is. So I thank you and I praise you for calling me out of darkness and bringing me into your light. And I thank you for the grace that you have shed on so many in this room. And I pray for those in this room that are curious, that are seekers, that are asking questions. I pray that you would answer those questions, that you'd meet them where they're at, that you would help them overcome the hurdles that are keeping them from you. And that they too would step into your kingdom and live the blessed life, live the happy life. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus that makes all this possible. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.